Hi, I'm in stereo. Oh, wait, wait. Stereo. This This will never never air. Uh, So who wants to go first? I can't say, hey, Nick, what did you think of the movie? Because... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I saw the movie. I saw it once because that's about all the time I could get. Um, my initial impression is that aside from a couple of strange things that happened, it was mostly a good movie. I have also seen it just once, uh, again, for similar schedule reasons. Um, I believe it is correct that that was, this was the first movie I had seen in the theater with my wife since Rogue One last year. (laughs) Um, I really liked it. Um, yeah, there were a few, uh, minor issues, um, with, uh, with pacing in a few places or, or with, um, how some, some of the stories connected together, but I thought it was a good Star Wars movie. And I, and I think, uh, unlike, uh, other Star Wars movies, I think it was a good film too, um, that maybe a little bit of Ryan Johnson bias, but I think, um, I think he made a, a a movie that is good from a from a general movie perspective as well. I have seen the movie one time, and I think it was a good movie. I'm still on the fence, um, but I basically have no idea what's going on in the Star Wars universe at this point. Um, well, there's on, this on redhead that. that's really angry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Really angry. Maybe he hates sand or something. I don't know. Well, I've watched, I've read a few other reviews, watched a few other reviews, and I feel like a lot of what I'm missing, what I'm not understanding, is explained somewhere else, either in a book or a comic or a game or a magazine interview with one of the actors or the director. So like, what's it, what's an example of something that you felt was missing? Uh, any explanation about Snoke? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think that was one of the things that I was kind of like, Oh, huh. But it didn't, it didn't bother me that it was absent. Um, I, I kind of get the feeling that that was the result of a creative difference between Abrams and Johnson that, you know, like you said, I I think I saw one of the interviews where, or, or, uh, or another review that was making the point that, you know, Abrams set up all of these mysteries and connections and clues and Johnson picked like two of them and went with those and pretty much discarded the rest as not interesting to the story he wanted to tell. Yeah, it was pretty anticlimactic. Yeah, it didn't have so I I I I was expecting, you know, something along the lines of Empire in terms of the way some of the trailers I had seen had been framed and kind of just thinking it would get darker or more down. But and and it did in the sense that, you know, the the resistance is pretty much wiped out with with the exception of one uh ugly looking little freighter (laughs) 
but um, yeah, it didn't seem quite as uh, emotionally fraught in the end, in some ways, uh, as as compared to um, you know the, the the final scenes of of everyone leaving Cloud City. Another thing that kind of threw me off was the time between the first movie and the second movie. Now, on the Ray Luke part of it, it's immediate. You know, there's been no passage of time between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi on that storyline. But from The Crawl, we learn that basically the Resistance is all but dead. There's just a few people, you know, I think they say at one point there's like 300. And all they're doing is waiting for Luke to come back. I I got the impression that it was pretty soon after, maybe on the order of days. Because yeah, it was immediately it, you know, following. It 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 may maybe not as instantaneous as the handing of the the lightsaber. I I noticed they did not rehash the uh, the off discussed helicopter shot. Um, <laughs> the um, yeah, because they were evacuating the base that we saw. Uh, in the force awakens, um, you know, and so I kind of got the impression that, um, you know, at the end of the force awakens, Snoke summons Hux and tells him to collect an injured Kylo Ren and that that happened. And then their whole fleet showed up at, at Dakar, which I guess is the name of the resistance space planet. Um, and started bombarding them as they were, as they were escaping. So I didn't I didn't feel like that that was too off. I I actually really liked the the pacing of the first like half hour, like the way they did the transitions from the different settings. Like um, there was something I think I think it's when uh, Finn is has just gotten out of the back to tank or whatever and finds Poe in the hallway and and goes where's Ray and then they immediately wipe cut to. Um, Octo and and Ray. I thought that was the, there were a few moments like that that I liked in terms of kind of how the movie was being made. So so here's something I've heard discussed a lot, and this is pretty early in the movie. The conversation between Hux and Poe, when uh, Poe is basically making his run where he can destroy every single turbo laser on this dreadnought. And he say, says things along the lines of, you know, you're breaking up, or I can't hear you, or or something like that. You know, he's basically like, yeah. who who's on the call? He's just messing yeah. with him. It, yeah. it reminded me of the scene in uh, in The Force Awakens when when Poe is is brought before Kylo Ren, and oh yeah, they're just kind of staring at each other. Yeah. Face yeah. to face is like, so do I talk first? Do you talk first? Or so, Mike, when I, you say it was being discussed, what in in sort of what context? Like as a out of character thing, or yeah, as an as doesn't doesn't fit with the movie, doesn't fit in in with Star Wars in general. Um, just the wrong tone. I don't know. I I liked it, and I would say. Uh, uh, the theater I was in really liked it. I mean, people found that hilarious. Um, I think it fits, you know, like you said, with with the way we saw Poe in the previous movie, and I think it fits with things like, you know, um, Han's um, 
detention control conversation um, in in the original Star Wars, where you know, very very big leak here. You know that it it felt like that. I had more of an issue with uh, him taking out all those turrets by himself. Well, he is General Organa's uh, most daring pilot, as we learned from the last crawl. Yeah, I, I, we, there were there was a couple times where it just seemed like I could suspend my disbelief just enough, but then they took it a little too far. And you know that's not only that whole battle scene, but you know Leia going all Jean Grey and and floating through space. Hmm. Well, to wrap up on the the Poe Hux conversation, I felt like it went on a little too long. Like, yeah, like Hux, for sure. Hux uh, should have figured this that, out yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> like, how long? How many times are they going to back and forth before Hux figures it out? And he never does. Somebody has to tell him that he's being messed with. <laughs> That's because Hux was genetically engineered to be angry and, and not have any other <laughs> emotions. He has no other motivation. It's yeah. Just anger. Anger. Just pure, uh, pure unfettered rage. He's like, um, Incredible Hulks. <laughs> I was going to say, um, the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy who doesn't understand metaphors, <laughs> Drax. Drax, yeah. It just everything just goes over his head. I mean, uh, I'm sure Hux and Drax can uh, can meet now in in any number of crossover media opportunities. Hmm. Yeah, I, I imagine it'll be like uh, they'll show up in Infinity War two, mm-hmm. and just like just like in Infinity War one with the you know the trailer where I think it's Doctor Strange. I can't remember who it is who ends up on the Guardian's ship and is like, who are you guys? And I imagine the same thing will happen for Infinity War 2. He'll, he'll, he'll be on a ship and there will be Ray and uh, Ray and Finn and Poe. And he's like, who are you guys? Well, I mean, yeah. What do you think lightsaber crystals are, right? They're just uh, yeah. Infinity Stones. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, well, Ray probably can wield the gauntlet because she can do everything else. Yeah. Um, I, although on on that note, I felt like um, uh, her whole storyline in this movie dropped what I thought was a pretty key element of her character in the last movie, which was sort of her like scavenger field engineering kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that that was a big part of what she did in in getting out of various crises in the previous movie was to you know pull some part out of the millennium falcon or cross link security doors or you know that kind of thing and and she didn't really have an opportunity to do that here um or 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 her sneaking around on on snoke's uh, flagship you know we kind of missed that i think mm-hmm. kind of like macgyvering things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh kind of like anakin was uh, you know, tinkered with various things, kind of a callback to that. But yeah, you're right. She didn't. She didn't do that at all. I mean, I guess that was kind of uh, you know trimming trimming back on on some of the. It fits again with you know the the Force Awakens opened up a bunch of possibilities, and uh, the Last Jedi, you know, picked a few to focus on. 
So we briefly touched on Leia, um, uh, Princess in Space. Mm-hmm. I I I thought they, that was you know they it, it was not the first time or maybe that was the first death fake out uh, in this movie. There there are there are a few. Uh, I I thought it was like oh wow they really decided to to offer early. Um, because I think I think I had heard during pre-production or something, you know, that she wasn't going to have a huge role in this movie, and and the third movie was was going to be a big wrap-up for her story, which obviously now can't happen because um, of Fisher's death. But uh, I I I think for sure both Andrew and I were like, oh wow, so I guess she's just gone already. Yeah, I did not like that scene at all. I mean, pretty much the whole sequence from there on out was, it seemed a little sloppy, um, just with the fake out death and then, you know, they get out and then they're safe and they're not safe. And then there's the whole light speed ramming thing, which maybe we'll get to later, but it, yeah, the whole thing just seemed kind of sloppy plot wise. The, the, the chase part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the OJ chase. Gotcha. I, um, I mean, I, I, I mostly liked it. I, I didn't, or I should say I, nothing about it jumped out at me as bad. And I, I have seen a lot of criticism of that. I see people calling it a plot hole. Um, I, it didn't strike me that way. I mean, it wasn't like a part of the movie that I loved, but it, it I, I guess it was kind of reminiscent in some ways of, of, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the second episode of, um, the Battlestar Galactica TV series, which arguably is the best episode of the entire series. They kind of yeah. came out of the gate with, um, with 33, um, you know, the, the sort of this, uh, unstoppable force, uh, relentlessly chasing you feeling, um, I think it touched on that. Well, um, I want to circle back to the, to Leia real quick. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it would have been, uh, more powerful, more interesting if she actually had died at that point. Because now, you know, you've got, now she has to be replaced and not, and they did, they did replace her with uh, Laura Dern's character. Um, Vice Admiral Holdo. Okay. Yep. And, uh, basically a character I didn't invest in because um, she will not be on any, in any other movies. Right. Yeah. I, I think, um, that her character definitely felt, you know, she got one throwaway line, like, or, or Poe got a throwaway line that was like, wait, uh, you know, vice Admiral Holdo of the battle of something or other. Yeah. Her. Oh, wow. You know, so that like, we know she has this whole, uh, story as part of the resistance, but I assume there's like a book about her, but there's nothing on screen to indicate why, um, she and Leia have a close relationship seemingly, or, how important she is to the resistance or how, how much her sacrifice later means. Um, I think plot wise, they just needed Leia for later. Yeah. Well, there's also a piece of it that I felt um, now, now that I think about it was a little off and they, they tease with this in the, in the trailers in an annoying way, but, but in the actual movie, um, you know, Kylo Ren is going in for um, a strafing run on the bridge 
and he hesitates, you know, because he he senses Leia there. So yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, and then his um, his wing uh, of Tie Fighters goes in with the with the concussion missiles and and takes out the bridge. And I feel like they don't really follow up on that. Like he's not mad at his other fellow pilots. He it doesn't really come up again later. He seems to know that Leia survived, which makes sense because they're force linked as as mother and son. But like it, it seems like he should have been more something uh, about about what happened. You know that he hesitated and then she was nearly killed, but wasn't. I don't know. There's lots of periods, like instances, like where it wasn't necessarily that the movie was trying to fake me out, but when I'm trying to read forward to see what's going to happen or, or guess I get faked out by myself. And that was one of those instances where I was sure that, that Ben had been the one to save her. But then, you know, it went through this whole floating through space covered in ice thing, which I thought was a little, I mean, it was, it just went on a little too far, a little too long. I, I can see that. So, more generally, how do you feel about the um, significant expansion in force abilities in terms of the variety of abilities that both uh, untrained force sensitive people and Jedi uh, or slash Sith have in this movie? Um, I do do not like it. <laughs> in short. It's, uh, I don't know. It's like, we need people to be able to do this. So we'll say they can use the force to do it. So a little too, uh, deus ex machina. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, technically that's what the force is. It's right. It is the ghost in the machine, but it's right. at the same time. Like I thought I understood the rules of the force. Like it, the force is all powerful, but what people can, how people can wield it is limited. And it doesn't seem like that's true anymore. They spent some time, you know, sort of, I wouldn't say exactly retconning, but you know, they didn't talk about midi-chlorians at all. And Luke was very clear th- about what the force was, you know, it was the, the surface tension of, opposing forces you know like the uh the event horizon of a singularity or something it's just it's all this power that's in between two things trying to go at each other and it you know it's a much more for lack of a better word it's much more zen sort of philosophy on the force than when they tried to explain it scientifically in episode one which was you know just off just terrible yeah i mean i don't, I think, I don't think science has, a, has any place in star wars mm-hmm. yeah i mean you can have fun with a little bit of techno babble around like you know hyperspace uh you know inter, interdictor cruisers or or blaster gas or whatever but you don't really need to understand like there's no the mechanics of of those things aren't super important it's just that they they work for the sake of the plot Right. I mean, in the you know, in A New Hope, they confused parsecs as a, as a unit of of time instead of distance. 
Mm-hmm. So that, you know, they right. weren't really on top of everything. So when I see a lot of criticism that's based on, you know, bombs falling in space or whether or not the light speed ramming can work and why do those other ships smash up in, in rogue one and et cetera, et cetera. I just, you know, those kind of arguments, they, they don't, they aren't interesting at all to me because, you know, first of all, they're sound in space. And second of all, lasers are one continuous beam of light. So like (laughs) right out the gate, we're, you know, we're done with the, the science of of whatever's going on here it's right. all fantasy I mean, a, a, an actual space battle with lasers would look really boring on screen because a, a hot spot would form on the target that's all you'd see <laughs> right like it wouldn't be cinematic at all if you were trying to be uh, hard hard sci-fi about it um right. yeah i i feel pretty similarly and i mean i reserve some of my uh technobabble pseudoscience interest for that other fictional universe that I spend a lot of time in. Uh, Where it's much more applicable. Yes, and, and, it, and it's built into the stories much more. Um, I think, um, you know, in, in particular, like the, the whole bombing run on the Dreadnought thing that, that you mentioned, I think that's a callback to the original Death Star runs, which is that it's really trying to be a shot-for-shot um, space remake of a world war ii uh action you know ryan johnson wanted to echo the style of those those original star wars dogfights and they look like world war ii fighter dogfights and so he made a thing that looks like a world war ii um bombing run Mm -hmm. with with flak cannons equivalents and slow moving b-17s and you know what, what whatever yeah and i the, the the bombing run thing to me was super silly but you know i i, I can i can wipe that i can i can i can let them get away with that you know would i have written it a different way probably but mm-hmm. but i mean i get what they're trying to do yeah, and I, I feel like at least um, at the moment it was happening, the movie, I was very much caught up into it, in with it, or, or I mean, just the drama of like, uh, you know, Paige trying to open the the Bombay doors on the last bomber before it crashes. Like that was that was an intense film moment, and I didn't really care about those details until I started thinking about it after, and I was okay with that at the time, you know. Right. Yeah. It was it was fun to watch. But I agree that when you think you know the rules of the universe and how things are supposed to work and they seemingly change, that gets a little um, discombobulating. Another thing about the bombing run is, so that's Rose's sister, who is in The Last Bomber. Yes. And that is never really referenced beyond the fact that Rose has a matching necklace and matching talisman or whatever you want to call it. I don't remember them ever. I, I think the necklace was really the important part because that's part of the symbolism of kind of what the whole movie was getting at in a lot of ways was the, the, the force being a balance between opposing sides, yin and yang and whatever. And that the, you know, the mosaic that's in the Jedi temple on Octo is very similar to classic yin yang symbol. 
Yeah, I think I think as much as we were just talking about the a lot of new and interesting force powers being introduced, uh, in a lot of ways, this movie got back to the the co- the core of some of the ideas that were introduced in the original trilogy of light and dark, and how you know one if one is starting to become more powerful, the other one will become equally powerful to to match it. So the the bombing run sequence. So they do the bombing run, then they jump to light speed, and they're followed by the dreadnoughts. Is that right? I don't think it's a dreadnought. It's 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 um because Snoke's ship was was not present at Dakar. I thought right, like wasn't Hux was on like a random command star destroyer. But I think I think Snoke's ship shows up only in the in the second place. But the, I mean, that's basically that's basically the same fleet has followed them after they jump. Yes. So, does Rose know that her sister just died because she doesn't act like anything's happened? She's like, "Oh, you know, I've been I I walk around down here and check things out, and that's what I do." And I mean, I mm, that's a good that's a good point. I I know later she says something about like you know my sister didn't give her life for for this well but isn't she isn't she crying she's like down in the she's just like sitting down by the escape pods upset right um yeah i think you're right yeah so i think i think that was supposed to be she must have just heard or or realized mm-hmm. like that's how that's why she was down there and that's i guess that kind of comes back to the central part of of why I struggle with this movie is trying to figure out what's significant, what matters and trying to remember everything. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, it's a movie you it have to watch dense. more than once. You have to watch it more than once to catch everything. And there's something we're going to talk about at the very end that I'm, I'm like, what, what are you even talking about this? I, I didn't see that at all. Right. Yeah. I, and I, I got uh, one of my last notes here is what was the point of this? Of the whole movie? Which part? Of the whole movie, yeah. I just, like, I don't understand exactly what the point of the story was, other than it was a staging ground for whatever's going to happen next. Well, I see, that's the thing, is, so we've got the 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 um, Force Awakens, which is directed by J.J. We've got this one that's directed and written by Rain Johnson, and then the next one's going to be done by J.J. Abrams again. Right. Although it was originally going to be... Um Colin Trevorrow of Jurassic World. It's like there's no plan, right? Like, no one knows what's going to happen in the next movie. No, it hasn't been written yet. So it's you know we're they're building the track as they're as they're driving on it, or they're building the road as they're driving on it. It's like where is this going to go? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think Kathleen Kennedy has a lot of oversight, but there's not as much of a singular arc vision as there is with Kevin Feige and the Marvel uh, and the MCU, um, you know, where, where they really are building everything towards, you know, this big Thanos showdown. So, uh, so an example of that is, uh, we're going to turn to Ray and Luke on the Island. So after I got back from watching this movie, I went and watched the very end of the force awakens where Ray is walking up this 
Mountain Island and sticks, sticks out the the um, lightsaber to Luke, and and there's music swelling, and and then we get the famous helicopter shot, and it's you know this all this emotion, and then I imagine if you're watching these movies in a row, or watching some kind of cut where they put everything together. And she hands him the saber and he chucks it over his elbow or over his shoulder. <laughs> and you're like, what in the world? I absolutely loved that. I, I really like that too. But I, I think I, I see what you're saying, Mike, which is that that only really works with the two year separation that we got as new viewers. I don't think so. You've just spent two hours invested in this in this plot of the movie of where's Luke? Let's find Luke. Let's he's going to train me to be a Jedi. And here's your lightsaber we found. And then he's like, get out of here. I think it's wonderful, and I think it's indicative of of Luke's entire headspace from the movie. You know, it's like he's got the the worst case of imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, so I think. It, it's interesting to me because I think going back to more of the production angle, I think I can see why Johnson was already promised a, a new trilogy based on what Disney saw in, in this even before it came out. You know what I mean? Like they they trust him to tell a totally new story very much based on this. Um, but I, I think I think he did have a, a core thesis, which is partly what Nick was saying about um, you know, really, really pushing on the yin yang style balance, you know, re- restoration of balance, but also this story of um, getting away from special destinies, right? That that sort of anyone who's force sensitive could be trained to be a Jedi, and you don't have to be from, you know, a special bloodline, uh, or or that. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get to it later, but I think Rose's line near the end is sort of a big piece of the, the core thesis of the movie about, um, the difference between fighting for something versus against something. Um, and and especially, you know, compared to the other star Wars movies and, or even the, the, the kids TV series where it's very much about being against yeah, I mean, we saw the you know the stable boy that was force sensitive. So I think that's a that's a good a good point there, and maybe something that's overarching that is there was a very heavy handed attempt to communicate to us the fans that you know this is different. This is not the same mm-hmm. Star Wars. This is not George Lucas's Star Wars. This is something new. Han's dead. You know, Leia might die, Luke's whatever. We're we're starting anew, and everything is different now. Get used to it. Move on. Let go of the past. Chewbacca's a vegetarian. Right. <laughs> Everyone's gone, but droids are forever. Hey, speaking of droids, what happened to three PO's red arm? Like he made a. It was like a. It was like one of the few laugh lines in The Force Awakens, at least in, in the theater I was in. And now he doesn't have a red arm anymore. Like, did Ryan Johnson just think that was dumb? <laughs> that is a good question. Because like we said earlier, I mean, as far as we know, that was 
at most a matter of days. So I, I wanted to touch on something we were starting to talk about, which is sort of not knowing a little bit of what's going on, uh, is is to channel something from from my dad, who who actually saw it the, the night before I did. But I got the um, the Last Jedi uh, visual dictionary for Christmas, and he was looking at the first few pages, and it's got this it's got this galaxy map with a with that shows the territories of of the First Order and um, the New Republic, and and some notes about the Resistance. And he and for him that was like he was like oh like he he's been confused for two years, and this movie didn't help. Uh, about understanding where, where this, what had happened in these intervening thirty years, that that I think, like, like you said, Mike, you would have had to read several new canon novels to understand what had happened. Yeah, that was my. I had that a much bigger problem with that in the first movie. This one, yeah. uh, you know, it just kind of felt like it picked up from there, and I definitely it did, it did, did have to read the the sort of companion book for the force awakens because it it really for someone who was invested in the old canon it it, it explained a lot more than than the movie ever tried to is that is that okay is that like well, i don't, only have so much time right well but i don't feel like i had to do that on the original trilogy and maybe well they weren't planning for you know games and books and other kinds of content. Mm-hmm. Well, but I think, but they think they're were, leaving right? a lot I mean, of leads for other like, stories to be explored. Lucas was pretty explicit about, I mean, it, with, with the original about all of the merchandising opportunities, right? Like to the point where it was a joke in the eighties. Right. But I mean, the, the ability to produce and consume content today is vastly True. different than it was then, you know, it's not just toys. We're talking about, video games and TV shows and whatever else. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's where I, I, I haven't decided on this yet, but that's where I start to, to think a lot about, you know, where, where do I rank this? And I've seen a lot of people tweet out their sequence of Roman numerals with RO sprinkled in there. Um, and it's, it's difficult for me to rank. I, I'm pretty sure I put this above the force awakens. Um, I think, Two years ago, I put The Force Awakens higher than I would now. And the reason is, at the time, that was our only modern Star Wars movie. And now we have three. And it's easier to compare it to these uh, these other two than it was to compare it to either the prequels or the original. Um, and I think the reason I would put it above, uh, the reason I would put The Last Jedi above The Force Awakens is, like I said before, like some of the more filmmakery things that Ryan Johnson brought as opposed to J.J. Abrams and the less of a reliance on, you know, confusing political stuff, like knowing who the first order was and who Snoke, like, like this movie was pretty explicit that you didn't need to know who Snoke was. And I, I know that bothered you, Mike, but the, for the sake of the plot, it wasn't important, you know? For for good or bad. Well, for context, uh, what's what would be the first your your favorite movie or the best? You know, I still think Empire Strikes Back um, is is up there, um, just because it's. But it's it's a little bit unfair because I can't remember 
I can't really remember a time without it. And, um, it, uh, it has so many iconic elements that have been replicated and referenced over and over again. You know, so it's hard to separate from that. You know, it's, it's hard to say if things from this movie will, will propagate in that way. Um, I think when I was younger, I used to really like return of the Jedi, uh, and not just like because I liked cute fuzzy Ewoks. I think one th- I was thinking about this this morning. One thing that Return of the Jedi has really well that I think this lacked is the so Return of the Jedi starts off I think pretty weak with with the whole Jabba Palace stuff. I, That's the only part of the movie I like. I think. Oh really? Okay. Well, it's just it's I just like seeing a totally happy. confident Luke Skywalker. You know, like he's a Jedi Knight and he's going to kick some ass now. I, I get, I, yeah, I can appreciate that. Um, but yeah, at least for me, I think that from, from a filmmaking perspective, what I always loved about Return of the Jedi was the cutting between the three locations in the final act. So you're, you're jumping between the battle for the bunker on Endor, the, the fleet battle in space and the lightsaber battle in the throne room. And the way those three locations interact has always struck me as, as like, that was really well done, right? And this movie didn't really have that. It was pretty much, we were in one place at a time. Um, well, it, it it seemed like it. they tried it to. I, I, and I agree yeah. with you completely that they, they did, you know, in, in Return of the Jedi, that is really well done. And this one, when they kept splicing the stories and it, it felt good at the beginning, and then it just sort of got more and more disjointed as the movie went on. Yeah, I think I think that's what I was getting at before, where I really liked um, the the way they cut between each location the first time was really good, and then you know we kind of introduced the <laughs> what I've seen referred to as force time uh, connection between the between the locations, and it started getting a little muddier. But I guess what I mean is that it it was rarely the case that the jumping between locations like there wasn't a reason to jump a lot later. Like it was just, oh, now we need to go see what they've been up to, right? Right. Yeah. As as opposed to Return of the Jedi, where where the three locations were were all very tightly interlinked in terms of what was going on. Well, yeah, because they're they're trying to show the battle as a whole all at once, and you know you can't do that without three screens. So you have to you have to carefully inter interweave the the timing of everything. Right. Whereas whereas this was a little more. Um, linear, really, yeah. which is fine. It's just it it made it it so so. Getting back to the ranking thing, I think you know that that's one of the things that makes it harder for me to slot in, right? Because there was a lot that was modern filmmaking that I really appreciated. You know, there's bonus points related to a more diverse cast and interesting uh, dialogue and interesting shots and modern special effects and all that but there are also some of these little weaknesses that i'm kind of like you know so um i I think there was a time shortly after seeing the force awakens two years ago when i would have said well you know this is basically the modern reboot of the original star wars for you know the current generation you know it has the things that that kids now expect from a movie like that and it's basically hitting a bunch of the same plot beats as the original star wars but now i'm not sure i would actually put it above that and then yeah it's it's really hard it's re- it, there's so many metrics to to sort on 
that I'm, I'm having difficulty. Uh, I'm going to have to see it a few more times before I even come to any yeah, sort of I decision. Think, I think that's what I need. And, and to, to my, one of Mike's points earlier, I think I've seen a number of people say, and, and friends of mine who are big fans say, it's not that they didn't like it the first time, it's that they just weren't sure. And then they saw it the second time and could really see all of the pieces fitting together uh, better uh, once they knew what was coming. And so I, I definitely need to see it a second time. Like I, I really liked everything that happened with Ray and Luke. I thought all of that was great. Mm-hmm. I liked yeah. the end battle. I thought that was great also. Um, but there were, and I didn't even mind the like little trip to a James Bond film in the middle of it that mm. other people seem to have. Have really okay. taken a disliking to. I hear a groan from Mike, so maybe we should uh, turn that over to. <laughs> One other thing about um, seeing it multiple times, I've seen many people who've put out Last Jedi reviews, um, and then they'll put like on YouTube, then they'll put out a, a second video later where they walk back a bunch of stuff. It's like I went and saw it a second time, and here's the things I got wrong. So it, you know, I I think. I, I've been trying to figure out if I can find a time to go see it again. Because um, well, it'll be yeah, digital I, in like a month anyway, right? Right, especially since it's not doing as well as as the other ones were in theaters. Uh, in the U.S., though, right? I think it was doing better overseas. Am I misremembering? I I don't I don't know. Uh, I I've. I don't track foreign uh, movie markets as much as I used to. Um, yeah, so the casino. Um, I, I'm trying to think of what it, it reminds me of. It reminds me of the Phantom Menace. Right? There's just just stuff happening for no reason. I mean, it's like they put a, an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the middle of a Marvel movie. Right. And, yeah, and I mean, the way he's described it before, the Bond, it, you know, it's like a Bond film. It definitely fits. Right? Yeah, I think I think that was maybe something that you know Ryan Johnson really wanted that kind of setting, um, and he found a way to fit it in. I mean, like I said, I didn't mind it too much, but it, you know, it did feel out of place. It you know it, the CGI artists got paid for that. You know, that's, <laughs> we're keeping people in jobs um, by having the casino scene, but uh, you know. As soon as they jumped on the, uh, I, I can't remember what the creatures are called, but uh, they jumped on the race horses, Fathiers or something, Fathiers, and and which I didn't realize until I looked at it in a book. In my mind, my thought was, now this is pod racing. <laughs> <sighs> they so they introduced this. A fairly interesting character, DJ, who is not who they went after, which is that's fine, you know, you know, uh, improvise and they get him back and he doesn't really do anything except kind of put that modern spin on it where it's like, well, you know, you've got you think you've got the good side, which is the resistance, and you think you've got the bad side, which is first order then you've got these people in the middle who don't really care they just want to sell 
weapons to both sides, which is, I think is something new. Like that, yes. that's, that's not been in star Wars before. It's, it's usually very black and white. Well, not only that, but I've always been under the assumption that at, at least it, for the original trilogy, that the empire produced their own weapons. Well, I, you know, when, I guess when you're busy making, uh, Guns the size of planets. You don't have time to worry about things like TIE fighters. And well, let's see. You've got Sinar fleet systems, Kuat drive yards. Uh, <laughs> are these real things or are you just making stuff up? No, this is me having the visual guide to ships and vehicles uh, and reading it way too many times in middle school. Um, I So I think... That was generally an EU thing that that was emphasized heavily. That I don't know if Johnson got it from there or wanted to tell that story. That that there are all of these sort of private companies that probably were run by like senators and other well-connected people on Coruscant. And so when the Old Republic fell, they just happily aligned with the Empire. And then you know probably some of them were aligned with the New Republic. And then when the First First Order kind of made its sudden big move you know they they align with them right um and i think that was kind of the point that was made explicitly but in dialogue by dj and i think was intended by johnson which is that there there is this uh class of people that this whole conflict that we've seen uh a version of over the course of 60 years of of in-universe plot uh doesn't really affect they they they're in a position to basically ride it all out Un- unless they happen to be uh, invested in, you know, Alderanian corn futures. <laughs> <laughs> What's the moisture future looking like? <laughs> I, I don't know if Alderanian corn is actually a thing. That one I did make up. Dried <laughs> up. Yeah. Th- there's people who are outside of this war. Basically they're not, no matter what happens, they win. Yes. But there's a, a second class of people who who don't care that I don't think gets touched on. You know, there's people who are just trying to live their lives. And there uh, there has to be billions of people in this universe who are like, I don't care about the resistance or the the first order. You know, I just I just need to pick my corn. I I didn't even vote in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think um, well, the prequels kind of see that maybe with like you know the the people in like Java's palace. And I I guess those people, I guess it wouldn't be interesting to see those people. I guess I mean well, I, guess, I mean there was like like there was the cloners, right? I think I. And the Trade Federation in in the prequels, and they all kind of seem to be playing a similar part, even though the the Empire wasn't around then. Um, you know, there were certainly lots of nefarious goings on. Yeah, they, you know, that was the first time we really in the... s- saw a third oh, party involved. Yeah, and I guess uh, now I'm walking back on what I just said, but I guess Luke was one of those people who didn't care about the the empire and the resistance you know he oh he, he cared well he cared. I care <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, but I guess he didn't, he didn't think it would ever, you know, he wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to go join this until he met Obi-Wan. Am I, am I correct on that or not? No, he was, he wanted to, uh, he wanted to enlist, uh, before that, but okay. his, but, uh, his uncle wouldn't let him. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah, when they I have that conversation that- at the table where, uh, Baru says he has too much of his father in him. Okay. I mean, I think isn't the idea that he kind of he he doesn't really care about it from an ideological perspective at that point. He just thinks it's cool to be like the hotshot fighter pilot. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. But he seems very excited about uh, the resistance when when three PO mentions it. So what's the diff? Uh, so I th- I think we all agree the the idea that they introduced with the the basically the the rich companies that don't care who wins is is interesting mm-hmm. but when it happened in the first one where it's like well this is about trade routes which don't really have anything to do with the story it's it, it was it just introduced the wrong way or is it just not as interesting oh man i mean there's you know there's a million things wrong with that movie like you can't even pin it on like the idea of like the trade federation with the blockade. And that's what starts everything. I mean, it's, there's a whole host of things that are just absolutely wrong. Yeah. I think it's that there's too many other parts that are weak in different ways, both, you know, from, from like a writing perspective and acting perspective that, you know, there's a lot of elements that I, I, I think, I think the Phantom Menace is, uh, I wouldn't say unjustly maligned, but, over maligned um and and my view on that was i think i've mentioned before was helped by watching parts of it several times with a five-year-old in 2000 2001 who loved it right like he didn't care about uh, a lot of the those issues um i think the the like the trade the trade federation stuff is weakened because like we don't really know we don't know any of the stuff about like what Darsidious was up to. We don't really understand where they fit into the old Republic. You know, there's just, there's so much missing information and then it's delivered poorly between like racist caricatures of aliens and annoying little kid actors who probably aren't that bad, but they are annoying kid actors. You know, there's just so many of these other pieces that get in the way of maybe that could have been interesting, which at least for me goes back to in the Clone Wars TV series, they do a lot more of the the interesting stuff going on between the Trade Federation and the Banking Guild and the Separatists and the Old Republic Navy. Well, you can do that, that when something. Yeah, well, you can do something like that when you have a serialized show to do. You know, right? You can't. You can't. The, the, I mean, a huge failing of Episode One is that they tried to explain anything at all. And then mm-hmm. when they tried to explain things, they over-explained it, just digging themselves deeper and deeper and deeper into the ground. Right. So, so this movie seems to have explained very little. And I think, at least from my point of view, for the most part, that was better. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's better than, you know, midi-chlorians. Yeah. Sheesh. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry I brought it up. I brought up The Phantom Menace. Cause oh, that's a, that's, that's hey. a hole we don't want to go down. No. That's a lot of like, Well. Uh, a lot of layers, of, ten tons of crap is what that is. <laughs> I'm one of those people who feel like Ray is uh, overpowered 
like can never do anything wrong. Well, she certainly has a lot of plot armor. <laughs> like, I don't know what is there anything that she she isn't good at. I mean, I think she has a weakness in terms of who she trusts, maybe, or or who she puts her uh, hopes into. Um, you know, both in terms of Luke and her long distance phone relationship with Kylo Ren. Like she, you know, she's, she's afraid of him, but she also feels some affinity towards him. Um, and I am by no means a Raylo supporter. I think that's weird choice for a lot of fans. It's, it kind of gets explained when we get to the, the snow throne room scene, which I, which I want to go into more. I, I hope, uh, in, in that, you know, for whatever reason, the the balance emphasis on the Force in this movie means that as Snoke trained Kylo Ren to become so powerful and effective, the light side had to put a bunch of power into someone. And that someone was Rey. So on the other side, we have Finn, who seems like he can't do anything right. I don't know if he's supposed to be 100% comic relief at all times or, or what, but he like his storyline doesn't, doesn't matter. I mean, (laughs) he goes and gets, he and Rose go and get the, the, I almost said the collector, the, the code breaker who turns out to double cross them. He, he has his moment where he can save everybody um, by uh, blowing up the 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 big gun, shooting the the big armor, um, and that gets ruined. I, I have some I have some issues about the big gun that we should talk about. Uh, well, and the other thing, so basically, what Finn is is like he's like the uh, illustrated guide to the to the uh, first order, where he so they jump to you know they jump to light speed come out the other end the the first order follows them and and finn is like oh yeah they have a they have a way to track us uh when we do that it's it's on this ship and they have they have one on every ship and uh so you know sorry i didn't mention it before so then they get on the the rebel planet and they're behind this door and they drop this big gun. He's like, oh, yeah, it, it, it's a Star Destroyer gun. They've worked on miniaturizing it, and uh, it's going to blow a hole through this door. So he, he's basically, like, telling people things five minutes too late guy. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I did read in uh, one article that I, I, I've been mostly avoiding um, reviews, but um, I did read one that was interesting that was sort of, that maybe part of the point of the movie was holding up Finn and Poe as a certain kind of traditional archetypal hero and, and Luke too, for that matter. And then showing the flaws with that, uh, approach, um, uh, intentionally, uh, for, for, uh, you know, the, the heroism of Ray and Leia and Holdo to be demonstrated. Um, I thought that was, that was an interesting, uh, point of view. Yeah, I guess he could be seen. 
it, it's since he wears Han Solo's jacket, but he's like the opposite of Han Solo. He he never comes in and saves the day because I don't I don't think in, in either of the movies he's really been the guy who who comes in and, and saves anyone. Has he? We save Poe, right? I mean, he's more he's more the motivation, right? Like he in the first movie. He's the he's basically the one who's saying like we have to we have to get Ray we have to get to the base, like I know them I know how bad they are, um, and then in this movie it's a little it's a little bit of that again you know like we have to we have to find some way to save the fleet we have to find some way to save Ray. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of you know kind of classic tropes throughout the whole movie. I feel like that's just another one of them. You know, he's the the guy who can ration out the key knowledge at, at key moments. And, you know, Ray is the one who always gets everything working right. And Poe's the one who always blasts everything out of the sky, even when it seems impossible. Okay, so is that... a, a, a So, like, we're kind of moving towards a kinder, gentler Star Wars. Is that... can Can they make that transition? Because... Up until now, Star Wars, like we said, it hasn't been the technical version. You know, don't try to explain things. Fly in the middle of the planet and shoot this thing in the middle and everything else blows up. That's, mm. you know, that's that's all we have to do. Everything's a chain reaction. So can they right, <laughs> shoot the nuclear reactor and everything else blows up? So if that's not the plan anymore, then... Can they, you know, how do they make that transition? If the plan is now, well, to to fight, like I, I can't remember how it was said earlier, but fight for what we want to save, not what we want to destroy or something like that. I don't know. I mean, I think on some level it's kind of irrelevant because they're going to make the movies and whatever is going to happen. And we know like eventually somehow the good guys are going to win. Um, but yeah, who knows? I'm, I'm not sure it's, it's all that different. Cause my, my guess is that by the end of the third movie, we'll be pretty much back where we were before. Okay. So the throne room. Yeah. This, this was one of my favorite scenes in terms of, um, the visual language used. Um, I, 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 I feel like, uh, it's, it, probably Johnson put a lot of his effort in on this one in, in terms of making it look just so. Um, I get that there are some big holes around who Snoke is, where he comes from, and all of that, but... There's I a big really hole in like, Snoke, too. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, the whole thing with, like, the, the, the red cyclorama that then, like, burns to reveal, like, a big viewport, and, like, the... The very um, oh, what's the what's the like kung fu movie genre wushu? No, like the the um, obviously they're not imperial guard anymore, but the the red guard, Snoke's red guard, like their uh, fighting style and and that whole fighting sequence, like the fight choreography was really cool. The whole thing where you know you you another one of the fake outs is like, Oh, maybe Ray actually has convinced Kylo Ren. And, and in a sense, like 
she saw one version of the future. Snoke saw one version of the future. They were both right, but they were both wrong. You know, where Kylo Ren has become powerful enough to show Snoke a version of his thoughts, but not 100% the truth. And and I don't know. I I I really like that whole sequence. The the battle looked cool. The stakes were high. Um, there was a lot of interesting cycling of sides. I, I, I really like that. Yeah. I wasn't sure why those guys were still fighting when Snoke was already dead though. Like, what does it matter? I mean, dead. So were, you, you, were you, they... like, you failed at guarding him. So like, why, why, you know, why die? <laughs> yeah. Were, were they supposed to be, I mean, were they the Knights of Ren? Like, cause that was something that was introduced briefly uh, in the Force Awakens, but then that didn't really line up with the two or three versions of the burning of the Jedi Temple that we saw in this movie. Yeah, I I have no idea. No. Maybe it doesn't matter. They they are not the Knights of Ren. Like, that is a storyline that who knows what happened to it, but um, from what I understand, they are not. Okay. Yeah, if if Ren killed. Snoke, he should have, I mean, he succeeded him as the Supreme Leader, so yeah, them them killing, trying to kill him doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's like once he kills Snoke, why isn't he just immediately the leader of everyone and takes over, right? And then he doesn't have to do this uh, this fight with Rey because he's uh, he's in charge now. I don't know. The whole sequence, it, I mean, it was pretty, but it didn't make a whole lot of thematic sense mm. to me. I mean, from the way he died, from the way that Snoke died, to everything that followed afterwards, it was it was, it was, was another one of those instances where you're like, well, this looks cool, but I'm not really sure how great that is for the story. I mean, it does serve the story, but yeah, I suppose you're right that some of the, the motivations are maybe a little bit unnatural. And And I think a big part of it was... Johnson wasn't interested in the Snoke mystery box. He didn't want to go there. Um, Which is fine. But, you know, you have to you have to tidy up after that a little bit. I mean, I mean maybe we will see that because obviously they're setting up a big conflict between Hux and Kylo Ren. I I have to assume in the third movie Kylo Ren kills Hux, right? Like probably and it'll probably be just some, you know, throwaway thing. Well, at least it felt like they were setting up a conflict between them as, you know, Hux is like the true leader of of the First Order, but because Kylo Ren has force powers, he's the supreme leader. I mean, it's, it's hard to tell how much Snoke's personal will was running things versus he set up a system that can run pretty well at, uh, without him. And I mean, I think it, it was always implied in the in the original EU that after the Emperor died in Return of the Jedi that the the Empire kind of splintered and there was all these factions and you had these different little fleet admirals grabbing a few Star Destroyers and causing trouble for many years after. And the New Republic was doing all these mop-up operations. And then there right, was right. like and, you know, in, Dark you know, Empire the first, and the whole story with the Empire coming back. But I mean, one of the first scenes in A New Hope is all the moths sitting around a table arguing. Right. So you've got strong personalities that are in charge of military assets and, you know, what happens when the top guy's gone. Right. And Vader's and I, and not I, there to choke you out of <laughs> talking. Yeah. 
I, and I mean, I guess what happened after Return of Jedi leading up to The Force Awakens now is that a bunch of those loyalists stayed loyal but fled the galactic core, which had been the center of the Old Republic and then the Empire, and, and set up shop, you know, I guess more or less on the opposite side of the galaxy of the Outer Rim, because it was like far away from the Republic, but also not the Outer Rim or something. But but again, I, I, I think I come back to that those details maybe don't matter as much for the, the core story of you know, re- restoring balance. And, and I think ending the Skywalker story. Can we talk about, uh, can we talk about the cave? Which cave? Because the cave on Octo where, uh, the, the, the dark side of the forest cave. Okay. Because I, to me, that was the most interesting part of the whole movie. Uncle Luke's fun time mirror show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's like Yoda said to Luke on Dagobah. He said, uh, you know, you only take what you have with you <clears throat> or whatever into the, into the cave where he fights Vader and then, you know, turns out to be himself under the mask. And I mean, the whole time after she left the cave, I was sure she was still there. When she confronted Luke out in the rain, I was sure she was still in the cave and this was all just part of whatever happened, you know, whatever the force wanted her to see in the cave. And when it turned out not to be true, I got very confused for the rest of the movie. Because mm. it all just felt unreal. Well, don't you think that was where she probably saw the vision she was referring to of of her saving Kylo Ren and like redeeming him? Well, it's possible. I don't. You know, we didn't see much there. Um, the the yeah. line of of multiple rays, which was also interesting, that they were all facing backwards in time and that she was, you know, somewhere in the middle. And I wasn't sure if that was just kind of a visual stylistic thing or if it had some larger sort of meaning to the plot. I mean, she's I not, she's not the start of the line. She's, you know, and eventually she gets to the end of the line next to the mirror, but she's always facing backwards in time. I, I guess you could interpret it as like she doesn't know where she's coming from and she doesn't know where she's going or something like that. But like she knows she has to follow the path anyway. When when the when the shadowy figure appeared on the other side of the mirror, did you have a moment of thinking it was anyone in particular or? Well, it was two at first, right? And then they became one. Yes. And then it was her. Yes. So well, my interpretation of that was the shadows were her parents and then it was showing you know, her, herself. When, when you go back to the, the throne room and he's, and Kylo Ren says that your parents were nobodies, they were junk traders. None of that didn't seem correct either. So I, 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 of course I wanted it, you know, to be somebody significant, but I wasn't, I didn't come away with, from that thinking any of it, would actually resolve into an answer Mm -hmm. or that it was decipherable at all. I don't know what to think about the cave. I think it's one of those things I'm going to have to watch again to really wrap my head around what, what it's trying to say. Uh, Yeah. It was super confusing watching it the first time. And as to if 
Kylo Ren is telling the truth and her parents are nobodies. I, I kind of hope not. I don't, it, it doesn't have to be like Luke or, or Han Solo or, you know, it, and I, I don't mind that you, you don't have to have a parents who were Jedis to, to be a Jedi. Um, I think that's something that, that came out of, well, that was in, um, Jedi Knight or, or something like that. Uh, I can't remember what game it was, but it, it happened after, uh, after Return of the Jedi, that game. And it started to have, it started to emerge that there were people who were force sensitive, who didn't have any lineage in that. And, and I don't have a problem with that. I think that's fine that, you know, especially when we have Anakin, who is, whose birth we don't know much about, but the idea is that he has no actual father. You know, I don't have a problem with, with random people having force powers or being force sensitive. I think that that's fine. That's, that's perfectly fine for the force to work that way. Mm -hmm. So that, that aspect of the force to me is fine, but these other force powers just, like I said before, are, are just invented, just seem to be invented for this, for, for this movie so that they could do these cool things. Well, what about the uh, force apparitions having, the ability to interact with the physical world. Cause that's certainly new. Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I, it doesn't, I don't understand. So in, in, I can't remember what movie it was, but, um, basically I think it's Yoda says I've been talking to someone and, or I can't remember which it's, it's implied that, that someone, one of the Jedi is talking to a Jedi who's passed away. And I think it's Qui-Gon to the point that Qui-Gon explained to them how to, after they, after they die physically to continue to live through the force. There is an in universe sort of explanation for that, which is that a Jedi master can sort of store their consciousness in a device called a holocron. Mm -hmm. And then you can interact with them. It's sort of like AI meets the force. But for it, it doesn't feel like they should be able to affect the physical world. They, 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 right. It feels like they should be ephemeral ghosts. They should pass through walls. They should not need to sit down and rest. Um, they should not be able to call down thunder and lightning like Thor. Um <laughs> Well, that was more believable than him wrapping Luke on the head with his cane. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. I mean, if if the force is energy that binds everything together, you could maybe imagine a force apparition being able to connect a circuit between a, a tree and a cloud. It felt like a checkbox. It's like, we haven't seen Yoda. We didn't see Yoda in the last film. Let's make sure we get him in here. Because Yoda's a good character, and he's a part of Star Wars, so... Yeah, and Frank Oz is still alive, so yeah. I mean, I I liked it because you know Yoda was Luke's master, and Luke is having trouble teaching, and who else would appear to him? And this is another thing I need to watch again because I don't understand what what he was doing. It felt like he was stopping Luke from burning the tree, 
And then he burnt the tree himself? I think he was saving Luke from the responsibility, right? Like, yeah. Like, um, he didn't, well, and I mean, of course, it also seems like Yoda knew that the books were already taken by Ray. So he wanted Luke to feel like the old ways were well and truly gone, even though he knew that Ray had preserved them. Um, that, that he felt like it was better for Luke's uh, understanding. And I think that goes to, you know, sort of speaking of, of Kylo Ren lying, you know, we saw what three, if you include the force awakens, we saw like four or five different versions of the burning of the Jedi temple now. And we know that uh, Kylo Ren's interpretation is pretty different from Luke's interpretation. And that Luke what had given into fear, right? He had given into fear of the of the power of his apprentice because of that Skywalker bloodline, I guess. And well, I think also there's there's sort of the running thread in Star Wars that you know the Jedi sit around and they do nothing, and they're always telling their apprentices to do nothing, and then the apprentices run out and do something, and they end up screwing something up. So I think you know this was was part of it was part of that sort of line of Jedi's doing nothing, and Jedi's are supposed to do nothing. Well, it's it's uh, it's knowledge and defense, right? Right. Yeah. We certainly don't want to explain anything. Yeah, there's certainly a long thread from from the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy of uh, if if a if a Jedi master with information had shared that information at the right time, a lot of stuff would have gone differently. Um, but that's, it's, you know, that's sort of in the probability of it, but the Jedi master knows that they or whatever they've seen the vision, they've seen how things turn out and they, they know that no matter what they do, things are going to turn out that way. So why, why risk making it worse? Yeah. They're, they're very risk averse as an organization, which I think, is the connection between the title of the film and the balance message, which is that the you know the Jedi Order messed up badly with their risk aversion and not understanding the threat of uh, Palpatine until way 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 too late. Um, and I think that's kind of why you know, Luke was going to go strike down. Ben Solo was he he thought aha I've seen I've seen a future and I have to but but of course it turned out what he had seen was the monster Kylo Ren that he created by threatening to kill him right like he didn't he hadn't seen the whole picture it it was actually his action or and and I think that's why we see Luke being a hermit right is like he realizes that it was giving into his fear and taking action that actually created Kylo Ren and, and turned him finally to the dark side. Like he was, he was on the edge and it was actually Luke who pushed him over. And it was just like taking the bait in cloud city. Right. I think So yeah, uh, he wants Luke, nothing Luke to do with a, any of it. Right. He, he had, he's, he's made enough mistakes. And yet he's revered as a legend and a, a, a mythical figure in the history of the galaxy. And he's, very put upon by that. It's obvious that he hates that. He doesn't feel that he's not only 
worthy of that sort of adulation, but that he really did anything other than, you know, shoot a torpedo. Which was maybe in part, uh, you know, Obi-Wan working through him more than him. Or or he maybe, like you said earlier, has really bad case of imposter syndrome. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that's part of it. He's not able to realize his own accomplishments. And that's part of why he's tortured as a as a character. And I think Mark Hamill did a really wonderful job of bringing that out. I, you know, by far his acting was head and shoulders above anyone else in the movie. He's, know, he's um, sarcastic and he's flippant and he, he doesn't care about whatever the hell's going on. And it's because he's just so conflicted about what he should do because he knows if he does anything, things are going to go south. And then he, he, he finds a way out of it later, right? Yeah, I think um, I, I do want to get back to sort of that final showdown. I think he, that, that there's that montage on Octo where, you know, he's just going about his hermit routine and Ray's following him around and he's refusing to teach her that then, you know, when he finally uh, sees her, her power, I mean, he gets afraid again, right? Like, mm-hmm. And and then in the end, you know, then there's the the whole conversation with with Yoda about um, <laughs> how boring the Jedi texts are, <laughs> and uh, you know, I think that's kind of what drives him to to take that final um, that final act. Um, well, that in R two. Yes, yeah, and and seeing R two, uh, and and, <laughs> and again being manipulated by a tiny hologram of Leia. <laughs> Right. Well, I think I think R two is the one who gave him the idea of projecting himself because he sees oh. the hologram of Leia, and it's like, wait a second, I don't really have to go. Uh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that that possibility. Um, so yeah, so I wa- going to going to create. I, I had two things about that. One one about the Luke showdown that that we should get to, but but before that, the the big cannon thing. Like they're obviously riffing on the Hoth battle, right? Which is, you know, get the get the armored transports to the trenches to infiltrate the base. But well, well, it was like uh, the Strand Beast. Well, it was it was like Hoth meets Helm's Deep, right? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. You know, the the pounding on the door. So, so I think my big problem with the cannon, and and this is totally ignoring the part where where Finn tries to sacrifice himself and be the be the archetypal heroes sacrifice. But I feel like they were talking up the cannon like it was going to completely blow the door off the place. And it kind of punched this like tiny hole. And then we waited for many minutes before the base was actually infiltrated. Like it, it that, that, that was the, I think that was the part of the movie that I don't know if disappointed is the right word or, felt the most like a plot hole was like they're okay so you're gonna blow the door off this place and they almost stop it and then they don't and then the door doesn't really blown get blown off and the the uh the time threat seems to go away well the 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 weapon sort of reminded me of when qui-gon is breaking into the bridge on in episode one and he sticks his lightsaber through the door right and he's just waiting for it to heat up and melt Mm mm-hmm and I sort of got the same impression from the canon that that's what it was supposed to do. The thing that bothers me about the canon 
is why do they have that? Why why do they have this cannon that takes 10 minutes to set up, then takes another minute to actually shoot? In what situation are they going to use that? It's like it, this this weapon was invented for this situation. Just in case the rebels get behind a giant metal door, let's develop a giant cannon, a, a giant immobile cannon that's basically a giant battering ram. Well, hey, it's miniaturized Death Star attack. Well, <laughs> I, I understand. But they haven't. No, needed- no, 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 no. It's miniaturized Death Star tech. <laughs> they haven't needed it up to now, but you never know. <laughs> I'm just, and I'm imagining Huck sitting in a, in a conference room, and they've got the crazy guy off in the corner who they kind of, who's a genius, but, but you know, they 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 kind of have to rein him in, and he's like, "What if we take the Death Star gun and we make it usable in only one situation?" How many of those can I can I build this month? Maybe, like, maybe it's it's like the it's like the uh, the the F twenty two right like like the parts for the miniaturized Death Star cannon had to be sourced on forty seven different planets uh, to ensure some uh, some military contract or something right like the seven hundred dollar toilet seat yeah yeah. Well, maybe instead of a miniaturized Death Star attack, it's just a embiggened uh, lightsaber attack. It, 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 this this is the gun that you needed on in space to shoot the the cruiser that's going point one light years faster than you <laughs> that you can't shoot with a regular laser because lasers have limited distance. Mm. Maybe maybe the the battering ram cannon thing only works in in atmosphere maybe maybe it was designed by like krennic's son like he's just really really bitter about how everything went down in rogue one and that that reminds me that finn is like the uh data center there in in rogue one without having to climb up and down and pull hard drives out he's he's that bank of knowledge but in a person he's the knowledge broker I mean, he was uh, he was conditioned, right? Like they they trained him via memory dump. But he was a janitor. Wait, waste extraction, yeah. So yeah, the, the wep- So I have problems with the way they use the force and the new weapons, the the tracking across light speed and the and the the Death Star tech cannon just felt like creations for for these situations. Well, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a different version of what happened in The Force Awakens where, like, you know, the ships were traveling at the speed of plot, right? Like, they were, there was a story that was wanted, that had, that, that he wanted to tell, and these were the mechanisms created, you're right, out of whole cloth to tell the story. And, I mean, my impression from, again, just a, a single viewing was that I, I, most of those details didn't bother me even in the slightest until well after, like at the moment I was never like pulled out of the universe of the, of the story. Um, as opposed to the ways I have been in other recent blockbusters, Star Trek. 
So uh, one character we haven't we've touched on just a little bit is Rose. Are you excited about seeing Rose in the next movie? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I, she seems it, like her character, the the person that she is or whatever seems totally inconsequential to whatever else is going on. Like she could just be an automaton of some kind. Like I, I, I understand her need to be there, but I don't understand the character and, or I just don't care. I think, I think, I think she's a continuation of the, of sort of the thesis. And, and like I said, I think she says this pretty explicitly, which is that, you know, everyone matters. Right. And so, yeah, she's not like the great hero descended from a great family and that that doesn't matter. She had something to contribute, both in terms of inspiration and in terms of saving someone important. Although, granted, you've pointed out the ways in which Finn is maybe less important than he seems at the surface. But, I mean, why why go through all the trouble of justifying the need for a boring character? Like, look, even boring characters can be in the movie, too. I, I didn't think she was boring. Um, I think... I think there's more to her story. Um, I think she was meant to be the sort of emotional heart of of the resistance in in a way that connects with the way Leia is the leadership of the resistance, but has to kind of keep a lot of her feelings in check because she's a leader. So I think I think Rose is there a little bit as our proxy and a little bit of the what are we fighting for. Um, the little guys, right? And and she, I mean, she says that rather explicitly when they're on Canto Bite. Yeah, but I mean, like it's it's Star Wars. Like we're the last time they tried little guys, it was Jar Jar Binks and Trade Federation. Granted, and, and it's not like I have a problem with with her character or her existence, right? It's just it it seems weird to spend a lot of time worrying about normal people in a universe where one bloodline is so important here what i probably would have done i i I mean having rose as a character is fine but you know and she's the the love interest and that's all fine what i rather would have seen when when she saves him from plowing into the 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 cannon if that had been poe instead so Poe has this huge character revelation that he, you know, he that's that's the one who's they've been working on the whole movie, trying to get him to to recognize. Sometimes it's not about about killing the other side; it's about preserving our side. And he was one of the first ones to bail out. Yeah, if he had been the one to save Finn, I think that would have been a much, much better storyline, a much, much more interesting storyline, and would have shown character growth for Poe. I, I, I can see that. I think, I think you're right that the whole, uh, which we haven't talked about at all, the whole mutiny plot with Poe is meant to, you know, kind of established that hey your your hotshot tactics got a bunch of people killed aren't going to work anymore you need <clears throat> you need to do something different and yeah you're right that 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 kind of one-on-one saving would have been for poe the um a big growth moment so i i it seems like 
Poe dealing with the consequences of his actions in, on several levels, both the bombing run uh, mistake of going after the Dreadnought and the, um, the whole plan with, with the code breaking and, and messing up the transport escape. Um, he's going he's gonna to end up facing those consequences in the third movie. But you're right that they could have paid, the, paid those off a little in this movie. I mean, he, he, it's almost like he was Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica, the whole movie, you know? Like, there wasn't a, there wasn't a whole lot of depth. And the mutiny subplot, I, it didn't work for me. You know, I, I understand. That was kind of interesting. They had to get people in position, but I, it, it just seemed to happen and be over too fast for it to really be consequential other than, you know, screwing things up for other people. So one other change, just a heads up, I think we're going to wrap it up. And and I guess my final question is what would you change? Um, if you could only pick one thing I'm cheating cause I'm, I already did one and I'm going to do another, but my other change would have been to have Leia die when she gets ejected out into space so that we can have the new character, Laura Dern's character, and she can actually carry through uh, theoretically to the next movie. I mean, you have to do some, some switching. You have to figure out how you're going to light speed into the, the uh, enemy ships uh, without killing her. But maybe Leia did survive the, being ejected into space and she takes, uh, the place and light speeds uh, into the enemy ships, and that so that ends her character arc. And th- and then we've kind of, I mean, maybe they wish they had done that now, um, but that that kind of finishes the tr- the transition of the old and the new, and and gives Leia, you know, she's been fighting this war for. I don't know how long. And presumably her whole life. Right. Or her whole adult life, at least. And so, you know, it, it seemed like it was a good time for, for her story to end. Yeah, but I think uh, I think they had established that, or, or they decided fairly early on that in this movie would end with Luke's death, which we didn't know, but, uh, and they didn't want to do two in one movie. I so just touching really quick on the the whole light speed uh, jump thing. Um, that's an amazing shot, and I mean our yes. our entire theater gasped. Um, you know, it it was maybe some manipulative filmmaking, and I could tell as soon as the ship started banking, I could tell what she was going to do, being versed in some of these kind of sci-fi tropes. But yeah, that was really a really well done moment in the movie. But I I get. Mike, what you're saying, which is that the Vice Admiral Holdo character would be much more interesting if if either we had gotten an introduction to her earlier or in a different context, or she got to keep going after this. Yeah, it's just another character that they ended up throwing away. Which I, I another character I was interested in that they ended up throwing away. A character who was not a Skywalker or a or a Jedi or Mm-hmm. So, what would you guys change? Well, I mean, the that was Leia's scene was probably the first thing that comes to mind for me. 
would you not have her ejected into space or she would just die then or I would yeah I either either kill her straight out or don't eject her so far out into space that they have to like crane her in for 10 seconds or whatever it was it was just <laughs> it was totally superfluous mm. and uh, you know other than that it would the the pacing and the the way that they w- went about arranging telling the story especially through the middle of the film i thought was not very good but i probably could have watched two hours of of ray and luke with the uh you know island of porgs (laughs) yeah we we haven't talked about porgs much uh more porgs my Um, favorite my favorite thing about the porgs is the only reason they existed is because there was a whole bunch of protected puffins on the island that they couldn't edit out so they just yeah. dressed them up well but they survived so we can talk about them in the next after the night for the next movie hamster penguins <laughs> exactly um yeah okay so what what would i change so i think i think of the three of us i'm the most positive on the movie as it is i think i would want to change like i i liked the canto bite sequence and how it fit in with the whole like establishing the balance bits and the whole there's all these people who are so rich they don't care about the war and all of these downtrodden you know stable slaves presumably because we know there's slavery in in this universe um i think i i don't i don't feel like the dj character was like he had some interesting stuff but i didn't really like him i don't know if it was like the stutter threw me off or some of the confusion over whether he was actually the code breaker or the turn after they were on Snoke's ship. Like why, why would he go along? Like I get why he wanted to get out of jail with them, but he could have done it anytime. So I, I think I would have had them go to Kento bite and like get something from someone there and then just go back themselves, you know? And then get caught on on Snoke's ship without a without this this new character betraying them. Now I might change my tune if if DJ does come back in in the next movie. I I kind of feel like they were trying to ha- establish a little bit of a dark Han Solo character. Um, yeah, I think I think he was the part that felt the most extraneous to me, and and that it and that a lot of what he did overextended that whole side mission but yeah i mean it, i i i think i'm stretching a little bit to find something significant that i would change i i think most of my complaints were were pretty small tweaks or or questions questions unanswered um i i wanted to finish up with the with the whole the final showdown um on crate so you've all watched it only once did you did you realize that Luke was uh, was just a projection? I did not. Something seemed weird about it to me, but I I didn't guess that straight off. But I knew, you know, when they started blasting him, he wasn't going to be dead. Yeah, I, I think when that happened, I assumed he was going to do like the little Qui Gon speed run or something. Um, but uh, what, what's funny was I I remember in the theater remarking on the the sort of pre-dual footwork. 
and and thinking it was cool, and yet I didn't notice that he wasn't leaving footprints in the salt, mm. which I guess uh, is is a big giveaway, which I'm sure I'll see on the on the second go around. Uh, well, I think that that's why they brought it up, uh, sort of as a throwaway line. When the guys are in, you know, when they're the rebels are in the trenches fighting, and then the right the salt is disturbed and it's all red underneath. I yeah, I wondered what that line was about, but that makes sense. Yeah, now. I, I I noticed that, but I didn't I didn't realize it during the duel. I guess I was too caught up in the fight um, or the or the the showdown between Luke and and Kylo Ren, um, and then I guess. I read somewhere that he's also using uh, the Anakin's then Luke's original blue lightsaber that Ray brought back right, that right. we saw get destroyed in the in Snoke's throne room, mm-hmm. um, which I also didn't pick up on. I never pay attention to the color of the lightsabers, um, and I, it's just not that's just not something I I ever register. Like uh, yeah. you know, I know there was a big deal about. Samuel Jackson's lightsaber being purple, and if I hadn't read about it, I wouldn't even thought about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, in, again, in terms of the fight choreography, and I know, I know you guys had pieces of the the Snoke scene that you you didn't like, but I, I, whoever did the fight choreography, I really liked the the style they they brought to it. You know, I uh, I think I think uh, Wu Sha is the is the term I was trying to come up with earlier. Um, you know the the little shifts in in footwork, like it, it 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 was borrowing from a slightly different East Asian tradition. Yeah, well, than yeah, the, the original Jedi fighting. The whole movie was sort of borrowing from that, uh, much like the first, you know, much like A New Hope did, you know, in philosophy and in in the martial arts. Another thing, uh, you know, they they sort of went out of the way to explicitly refer to the Jedi as a religion, which. <clears throat> I, I don't remember in the prequels, but I do remember in the the original trilogy, and it seems sort it's said sort of uh, with derisiveness. Yeah, Han refers to it as a hokey religion. I mean, I think some of that can be chalked up to the the timeline not being super clear yet uh, at the time of the first movie. Um, you know, some of some of the elements maybe had been sketched out, but um, yeah, I think you know you could. You could give an in-universe explanation involving imperial propaganda, or that there's there's a pretty easy spin that that the the Jedi Order was what brought about the fall of the Old Republic, right? Like, yeah, but it, it also uh, it, it makes a separation what, between the Force itself and the Jedi, right? Because the Jedi would just be the religion on top of whatever the Force already is. Right. And, and I mean, we, we briefly got touched on the whole, what was it? The, the church of the church of the force. Yeah. In, uh, force awakens. Yeah. Both, at, both at the beginning of that and, and then a little bit in various forms during, during rogue one. And I guess, yeah, you can assume that, that Luke is trying to, to get away from that. Well, I mean, religion requires more commitment than, than just, you know, adhering to a philosophy, right? I mean, it's it has to do with tenets of faith and everything, right? And and often, you know, ritual or or uh, regular practice or or liturgy of some sort, right? Which we don't really see any evidence of with the Jedi. I mean, you know, they they study, but they don't. 
they don't go to services. They don't they don't spend right. uh, four hours in mass or, or anything like that. So uh, I'm looking on Wikipedia, and the uh, basically the imp, uh, empire uh, put out the fake news that the Jedi had betrayed the Galactic Republic. So that's why the Jedi fell out of favor in most circles. All right, because it was Mace Windu who was fighting Palpatine and almost killed him, if not for Anakin. Yeah, I think there's several events that you could you could spread the interpretation that the you know the Jedi Order was plotting some kind of elitist takeover of the state. Are you guys worried about J.J. Abrams taking over the the next one? I'm always worried about J.J. Abrams. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Constantly. Every day, I, I'm so concerned about J.J. Abrams. What is he going to do mean, now? You you are in the L.A. area. you got to watch your back, right? Like He could be around any corner. <laughs> well, I've followed several of his TV shows. And, you know, obviously the big one being lost that ended up sort of falling apart and then almost reconstructing itself. But sort of failing and falling over again. He's got a real flair for setting up a story, mm-hmm. but much like Stephen King, he has a real problem ending it on any sort of satisfactory level. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think my, my worries are in sort of two areas. One is that, you know, he is stylistically, I think a more straightforward filmmaker than Ryan Johnson is. So a lot of the stylistic elements I really like in this are probably not going to be present in a third one directed by JJ because he mostly very well emulates a certain Spielberg Lucas eighties epic kind of style. Right. Yeah. Very epic. Right. Which, which isn't bad. It's just not as subtle at all. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's not a lot of, not a lot of nuance involved. Right. So, so there's that piece of it, which, which just means that this movie might stick out a little bit more, uh, although maybe less so after we see Johnson's helm trilogy coming out in the 2020s, um, which I guess in terms of age will be sort of the prime trilogy for some of our kids potentially then. And then the other piece is that, you know, Johnson very clearly was like, that. Nah, we're we're eliminating this, we're eliminating that, we're eliminating this." You know, he was he was closing off a lot of the possibilities that Abrams opened in the previous movie, and I worry that he'll be like, "No, I like that," and he's gonna like bring it back in a like ham-handed kind of way, right? Like we'll we'll get some explanation for Snoke or something like that. Well, I you know I have faith that good writing can overcome any of those issues. Mm-hmm, um, sure. but the, you know, the, the rub of it is, are you going to have a good enough writer and is there enough time to write a good movie and film and produce it? Yeah. I'll be curious if Johnson is involved in the writing at all. Um, and I'll be curious, you know, what, uh, franchise elements, have already been determined or signed off on by Kennedy because, you know, she has my understanding of a fair bit of big picture oversight um, in terms of how all of these 
current and future films fit together. So yeah, I, I kind of wonder how many, and and then also handling Fisher's death, um, what what has sort of already been decided that then the the writing has to fit into. Well, as long as we don't get more of the last scene of Rogue One, I'll I'll be all right. What, let's see. What was the very last shot? Hope. Oh, mm. yeah, yeah. I think I think I'm in agreement still uh, from our previous discussion. That still bothers me. I, I I guess my hope in the future is that we can get beyond this like 60, 80 year period of time in a galaxy far, far away, and we can move on somewhere else in in the timeline because. Then you don't have to worry about half of this other stuff. Yeah, I mean, you have what, like six thousand years of old Republic to choose from, depending on how much of that parts of the history they've decided to preserve. Yeah, and I think there's a lot more interesting things to to get into there that don't have to do with star destroyers and uh, planet killers. Yeah, but then at the same time, you have to consider, you know, the the broad appeal of what Star Wars is, and and how many people maybe want to go to a movie that has those same pieces over and over again. Even even though I think uh, from a lot of people that was a big criticism of the Force Awakens is that it was just the same stuff all over again, slightly rearranged. This was a different movie. Rogue One, I think, was a pretty different movie. But they also still had all the familiar bits. You know, they had astromech droids. They had, you know, ships Rogue, with little fold-out S-foils. And, I mean, Rogue One was a fantastic movie in yeah. a lot of ways. Not just because it was, you know, a Star Wars movie. Or e- even outside of the Star Wars universe, it would have been a great movie. Um, yeah, I, I, but I, I don't still think, really like it. I don't think you can you can make a good movie like that in a trilogy I think that has to be a one-off because you need that sort of loop of start to conclusion to happen while the, you know, you're still invested and the stakes are, are still high in the moment. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping we'll see, I mean, obviously we've, we've already got another trilogy on the slate. We've got these star Wars stories. I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see more one-offs or more of a move to where the serialized big stories are happening um, on TV. And there is a Star Wars live action series in the works, I think I saw. So maybe that's where we get, you know, more of the more of the big stories. And and you know, TV production values now are ridiculous. So you can have movie grade stuff happening on TV every week for yep. a few weeks every year or two. Okay. Anything else we want to talk about? I'm about I'm about uh, Star Wars out at this point. Yeah, I'm. Uh, well, I'll I'll be building my resistance bomber Lego set this evening. I think. Oh, the S slash A dash one. I can't remember what it is. Is it the one from the new the new one or the the uh, like the old Y wing or? No, it's it's the new uh, the new vertical. B wing, vaguely B wing looking thing with the little turrets. I think it's an S slash and a- inexplicably and that sounds believable. A slash SF one. Yep, that's it. 
it, it comes with a Vice Admiral Holdo minifig for some reason. I guess they couldn't figure out what set to include her in. Uh, and and I, I, I'm going to be reading the, uh, the visual dictionary and, and finding out more about all of the random background characters that I didn't have any reason to be attached to. They should have included her with just a, a box of random bricks. <laughs> um, and, and I think, uh, just one, one other thought, uh, I think I was more excited for rogue one last year than I was excited for this, but I was happy with how, how it turned out. And I do want to see it again. And I think it's better than the force awakens. I think force awakens was better, but, um, I'll have to watch it a few more times. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm still undecided. I I don't know. I don't feel like the hate that it's getting is is uh warranted. I mean, on Rotten Tomatoes it's down to less than 50% or something like that. But yeah, I, I think it's getting brigaded. Yeah, shills. First order shills. Russian bots. And a lot of it does depend on the next movie. I think that will either, either, well, I feel like it'll, it might have the ability to redeem this movie for a lot of people, even though it's, it's done by two different directors and two different writers that they might be able to craft it to where it's like, Oh, this, the last Jedi, this now makes, sense in the whole scheme of things that's why they did that in the last jedi that's why they did this in the last jedi it was all set up for this thing but yeah i think you know i think the scenes with ray and luke and and the battle you know the last battle i think those are going to be end up being the important things and everything else was just this is the story we have to tell for these other characters because they're in the movie too I don't know if I would reduce it quite that much, but I I, I agree that the the Luke Ray Kylo Ren storyline is going to be the the through line into the next movie. Okay, well I'll probably probably wrap it up there. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Don't forget to fight for what you love. Mm-hmm. Porgs. <laughs> I I do love porgs now. Planets made of And hey, if if they if they turn chewy vegetarian, I'm on board. <laughs> that scene was very funny. Yeah. Planets made of red salt. Why is it red? Is it I wonder if it's iron and sodium. I guess it's whatever they were mining on that planet. Crystal critters. Oh, also, l- apparently, that crate has nothing to do with crate dragons, spelled differently. I feel like somebody in the lore department messed up, and they meant to have the same word, and then didn't. Hmm. It's actually yeah. a layer of white salt over red soil. Uh-huh. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I think that is another in the category of Ryan Johnson thought it would look cool. <laughs> It does look cool. And then they and they, they built the rest from that. Oh, yeah, I mean, every planet in Star Wars is single biome, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. The <laughs> a thick crust of white co- colored salt covered nearly entire plant surface with red colored mineral base of. Am I right? Underneath Amira. <laughs> wait, is is it Am I right? right? Amirite. Amirite. It doesn't have a link. <laughs> so you, you've you've got the you've got the amirite, and then you know it's covered in a layer of updog, and then <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know the uh, the Ermso Van Hoets are going to be uh, salty because mm-hmm. you know they're complaining about all the plot holes, right? Uh, well, the plot holes were put there by the uh, miniaturized Death Star cannon. <laughs> miniaturized Death Star tech. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's got space hamsters. Space hamster penguins. I still want somebody to build porgdance.com. I think we need like wild crats for Star Wars. It. <laughs> That that site would have the the cantina song behind it though, right? No, I suppose so. Space jazz. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks a lot. Uh, I'll try to release this in the next four months. <laughs>